Welcome to the Author Blurred Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. So, today, I'm speaking with Douglas Wiseman. I enjoyed our conversation. If you're watching the video, you might notice some delays, a little hiccuping here and there. I don't know if it was my connection or what it was, but in the video-wise, it's not really bad. Just a few hiccups. So, thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you go to authorblurb.com, where you can always find the author's profiles, find information about them, find different articles that the authors have written for your enjoyment, and even find ways to contact me and every place that at least I know about that you can find the Author Blurb podcast. You can subscribe, you can share with people, you can let people know how much you love this show, and the more people that listen the more people get to enjoy it. So thank you. Tell people, share it, do whatever you feel is right. Just enjoy the show. Thank you. And I'll talk to you afterwards. So I'm here with Douglas Wiseman. He's an author of an ungodly amount of books. <laughs> it's in, and he writes in YA, young adults, historical, and in other categories as well. Obviously, I can't go into great detail without just messing something up. So instead of doing that, Douglas, thank you for being on. If you can do me a favor, tell people a bit about yourself and about your books, and then we can talk a bit about it as well. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me, Eric. I'm really excited to be here. I have seven books out and an eighth one coming in November. Uh, I also actually have a, a ninth one that's going to be due out either late next year or early 2024 depending on how the editing process goes. But I do like to dabble in a lot of different areas, uh, a lot of different genres. I do have YA. I have new adults. As you said, historical. I also have a lot of magical realism or fabulism and short stories as well that are out there. I just kind of enjoy diving into these subjects and the types of writing that have inspired me. Uh, I'm a travel writer by day. So that also gives me a lot of new and exciting perspectives on ways to tackle a different subject. My family history, uh, I was born and raised in the Jewish community. And so there's a lot of just impactful stories that were passed down from my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents. But these are also stories that I find unique in that they're both very community oriented so they've been passed down through others and shared by others, but at the same time, very specific to my family. And so I like to kind of mind that duality of saying, yes, this is a broader story that a lot of people have experienced. But by sharing it through an individual experience, it creates an entirely different emotional connection. And that's what I like to explore most in my fiction is that way to create different emotional connection, no matter what the story is about who's telling it, or the way in which it's approached. All right. So let's, let me ask this then. What, what got you into deciding to write? Because I've, as I've said numerous times, lots of people start writing. I personally have many books I've started writing and just lost interest in that book. I can't tell you how many people has told me they, they've written like three or four chapters and just stopped. What made you decide to write and then keep writing? I mean, there's once you get that first novel out, it's easier to keep going. But 
to write as much as you have, you have to have some kind of drive. What is it that did it for you? Yeah, it's a couple things, actually. I mean, honestly, if there was a paid position that just let me uh, travel around the world and just tell a story as opposed to having to write the story, I would probably do that in a heartbeat because right. that is so easy to me, especially coming from my family. My grandfather on my dad's side was such a gregarious storyteller. I mean, he would be the guy at the center of the room just barking out a story that everybody would listen to. And that's kind of how I approach writing. But with the drive of not only starting a story, but finishing a story, it's totally natural. I've had that kind of middle slump. And I've talked to other writers about that middle slump. One of the ways I pushed through it, honestly, with the first six books, it was part of a book package, right? So I was getting paid to get the book out. So I had to finish it no matter what. And that was part of that drive. But with with the other books that I've put out, it was really just about finding the moments that kept me connected to the story. And I actually spoke to somebody about this recently. I remember in grad school, I was talking to an instructor, and I just ran into him at a coffee shop. I'm doing the writing, I'm having some tea and pastries, and he shows up grabbing a coffee, and he's like, oh, what are you doing? What are you writing about? I was like, oh, I'm writing about this subject, and I figure I'll just go in, fill in the uh, boring bits later. I'm just writing about the stuff that excites me right now. Then he looks at me and says, why do you need any boring bits? And that is what really caught my attention of, why, do, why would I need any boring bits? If it bores me, it's going to bore the reader. So I only focused on those chapters that excited me in some way. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's cranked up to 11 all the time, because that means there's no real emotional arc or there's no real time to calm down as a reader, right, and really get some emotional connection in that way. But it meant that I was finding those intimate moments that I relished, or I was finding those really powerful, loud moments. And then I don't write linearly. I write modularly. So I might write a chapter that takes place five years in the past and then one that takes place 10 years in the future and then one that takes place in the present. And, and it, it has no real structure in how I write it, but then I go back and, and maneuver it to make sense later in the structure that I think works best for the story. And that helped me because it allowed me to find those moments that I found most interesting. So I could get through that kind of middle slump that a lot of writers feel that then they fizzle out and jump to another idea. Right. So you said that you also are a travel writer, and you've traveled quite a bit. So do you add a lot of that travel into your stories? Do you incorporate like different adventures, different things? Because I know the first half of my adult life, the 20-some years, I traveled the United States from a company, and there's quite a bit of boring travel. <laughs> and But at the same token... It's only boring because you've done it 50, 60, 90 times. Do you find that you take some of that stuff that you find exciting or stuff that you found from traveling and put it into the stories to help you find your way through it? Absolutely. And it also empowered me in the fact that I understand, for me at least, what makes a more compelling story. So, for instance, when traveling, I might hear stories about just a local area or... And I'm not trying to appropriate the story, but it does give me a better understanding of, oh, maybe a character has experienced this type of thing, or maybe this type of, uh, this type of legend can feed into something else. And then on top of that, I notice what, in those moments, right, 
I notice what's around me, but through different senses. So rather than trying to immerse a reader by just using the visual representation, oh, the grass is green. Oh, but grass is generally green. We expect grass to be green. So why would I say the grass is green? But I would say, oh, you know, I could smell the green grass, right? Or the air smelled of rain. I mean, these things that I think, especially newer writers often overlook, they try to immerse a reader with visual representation that can get overburdened, where adding these other sensory details that I connect with when I travel, I know the power in those senses, and therefore I could use less of them or fewer of them while giving a more impactful picture, creating a more impactful picture, right? The smell, the sounds, uh, maybe the way that the air feels on the character's skin as they walk out of a diner in this particular area. So even if the character is not traveling, you, the reader, are traveling to where the character is. So it's trying to create that sense of space. So just these little details, even if I'm not saying, if I'm not using my experience while traveling through France as the basis of this of this novel, I can still use experience that I had there, personal experience that I had in order to kind of texture my writing. Understand, and that makes sense. So, what what made you decide to write YA historical, all these new adults and different genres? What made you decide to write into this areas, these areas? Yeah, well, it's kind of where I felt I was at the time. So even though I was not a young adult when I wrote the young adult novels, it was what I was reading most at the time. For whatever reason, I was you know, devouring The Hunger Games, or I was reading a particular area that I just felt the most connected to, uh, whether it was because the way they developed the characters, or the way the story was going, or just maybe it was even because it was the trend at the time. I mean, YA, I can't say is a trend that's really died, nor should it. It's a wonderful genre. It's just that it was really blowing up at the time, and I just happened to be really engaged with all these stories that were coming out. Same with New Adult. While it hasn't necessarily gotten the same attention, uh, I did feel, especially as I wrote the New Adult book freshly out of grad school, I felt that same kind of angst that you know, an 18 to 22-year-old feels freshly going into or coming out of college. Right. So I thought, oh, that's that's a great look. I can really understand and capture that emotional resonance there. And then when it comes to historical, I've always really been intrigued by history, both in its parallels and its repetition. So it's something that I feel is a really easy tool to represent modern, you know, whatever modern uh, issues are taking place but it doesn't feel as threatening to readers because it supposedly takes place 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. All right. So with that being said, do you actually have a favorite story that you've written or one of your favorite books so far? I mean, like I said, there's a long list that you have. So to dive, to just pick one, I don't know how easy or hard it is for you. Is there one that you actually feel the most connected to, I guess, is another way of putting it? That is definitely a hard question. I would say the book coming out this November, Life Between Seconds, is the one I'm most connected to. And I, I'm not going to say whether or not it's my best book, because that's subjective, and of course that's up to readers, but I will say it's the one at this moment I love the most, because it also is the one that I've worked on the longest. So I've worked on this book since 
really 2011 is when I started it, when I wrote the first chapter and, and, and dove right in. And it wasn't until uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, that I finally got it picked up from a publisher after years and years of writing it, rewriting it, querying agents, uh, not being able to find an agent, going directly to publishers instead. And with that, uh, it, it, it's the one that I have reshaped characters, reshaped the story, seen it, dove into it, redove into it. Uh, and so it's, that lasting impact is, is obviously never going to leave me. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk a little bit about that then. So where does where's this book starting off from and what genre is it in? I mean, what do what do people expect when they open up the book? Ooh, well, <laughs> I hope they expect a wild and thrilling ride, really. <laughs> but the with this book, I mean, it, it's kind of a representation of colliding worlds. And so you have a 25 year old American and a 74-year-old Argentinian, and their past traumas have really guided their lives. And when they finally put their guard down or let their guard down enough to create a friendship after decades, both of them, decades of keeping people away, they're finding that those nightmares, those ghosts are bubbling up and threatening them once again. So, I mean, with it, you kind of expect that fabulism, that magical realism because of the nightmares. You expect found family, you expect trauma, and you expect really hard confrontations. And it comes from personal experience and it comes from inspiration when I was traveling. Uh, when I was in Buenos Aires in Argentina, the Madres de la Plaza de Mayo is, I don't know if you can really call it an organization, but it, it was started by a group of women whose children were disappeared by the Argentine government because they were speaking out about the government during the dirty war in the 1970s and, and continued even into the 80s. But with it, I mean, you saw that these women, this was in 2011 when I was there. So it's 40 years they continued to walk around the plaza in front of the presidential palace with signs, with pictures, making their voices heard, demanding that even in silence, they would not be silenced. And it was so powerful. It was impactful. It was this small movement that grew to national and international recognition. And it was a story that I didn't want to tell in terms of not being mine to tell, but one that I wanted to share through those that I met, through those that I spoke with, through those that I witnessed. And also in a similar connection to families and friends disappearing because of my family history and the connection I have in the Jewish community and the Holocaust of just kind of understanding that these types of stories need to be told and shared. All right. So you also said that you brought in quite a bit of the history from your family that's been shared verbally and told and you've incorporated that. What type of stories, family history or what so have you, did you bring into your books? What is it just your family? Is it a cultural story? What type of stories did you use? I only, I only smile and laugh a little bit with the question because in my head I'm thinking it's less specifics and more of feelings, right? So it's a lot of, a lot of guilt comes into it. <laughs> and a lot of the, the feeling of, of oratory, right? So rather than having it some moments feel like you're reading. It's meant to feel more like somebody's 
orating the story as if they're standing in front of you and, you know, or in a bar with you and telling you about this thing as opposed to just having a third person omniscient narrator summarize everything. And, and these are the ways that I felt my family came into it, including the ways that I developed certain characters. For instance, Sophia, who's the Argentinian woman in Life Between Seconds, she is 100% modeled after my paternal grandmother and her brusque Brooklyn personality growing up from 1920s to 1930s mm. New York. Uh, and so it's, it's these types of things. So while there's no, at least in this story and in my books, there's no real specific uh, family history. It's, it's my connection to my family and their personalities and emotions and things that I'm, that I'm able to utilize. While in some of my short stories, there's more direct correlation to family history. Okay. And so what other books do you have that you feel would be a good discussion? Because like I said, just to start randomly picking them would be a challenge for me. I'm okay. Let's start with the first book you wrote. So what was that book about? What, what do you think people would really enjoy out of that story? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Uh, so the first book I wrote was part of the uh, larger YA series. And to be honest with you, it's, <laughs> I'm having trouble remembering the name of the first one because <laughs> I'm like jumping immediately to book three, which I think was my favorite of the six part series. So, okay. yeah. So it's, I feel embarrassed that I can't remember the name of the first book. So let's uh, you, jump to the third book then, since yeah. that's the one. Tell us a bit about that then. Where where does it pick up from, and what's expected in that story, or what do you think is some of the highlights of that story? Absolutely. So the overall series is about a group of orphans in from San Diego, California, in a post-apocalyptic future that has frozen over because of climate change, and then these this group stumbles upon a cruise ship that still functions and allows them to kind of escape the frozen hellscape that has become San Diego uh, and, and wind up on an island, right? And, and so it's because of these, the way that the trajectory flowed from book one to book three, by the time I got to book three, I was very much in tune with the idea of Mad Max, so Ice Dome, right, <laughs> the Ice Dome. And I thought, oh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is kind of a perfect representation that I'm trying to channel through this and, and just that way that societies can both form and function, but through the need for punishment slash entertainment. So it's like ancient Rome versus connected to the, uh, connected to Mad Max beyond Thunderdome, uh, connected to how we create, uh, we, we create community, but also our communities divide. And then at some point, diverging opinions become ruling factions that then either can uh, cohabitate in different areas at the same time or war with each other. And so this, this, these were the areas I was exploring or I were exploring. Yeah, I was exploring with that book and it, it was a lot of fun, honestly, it, because of how different it was for me to write. I, I hadn't really explored anything like that before. Uh, and then my personal love of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome also was one of the reasons why I just enjoyed writing that book so much. Right. 
I mean, I can tell you, I loved Mad Max when it first came out years, or when I first discovered it. Yeah. So, <laughs> Mad Max was a great movie, and then, is the Thunderdome the remake of it? I'm trying to remember. There it wasn't was a remake. It wasn't a remake as opposed to just a continuation of that world, right? So it wasn't number one. I'm trying to remember if it was number two or number three, but it was one with Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember, I'm not even joking, I saw it. Uh, I saw it when the first time, I think I was like 11 years old or 12 years old, but then I watched it in my government class in high school. <laughs> that, that was what the teacher decided to show, and I could not for the life of me remember how she correlated it to whatever we were learning about in class, but <laughs> I was not upset that we watched it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that would be a good show just to watch in government class. I mean, yeah. I can collapse the government and rebuilding themselves. Society kind of reminds you of Lord of the Flies almost in a way. Exactly. So, but, all right, so with that, the series of six, is that going to uh, continue on to a seventh or eighth book, or is there spinoffs to that series? Once somebody finishes it, is it done? Yeah, once someone finishes that one, it is complete. Uh, there would be no more of those unless, because uh, that was part of a book package and the publisher uh, contracted me. So I came up, they had the initial idea, right, of, of kind of the starting point. And then I came up with the trajectory of, all right, well, this is really where it's going to go from book one to book six. And there were talks initially of, of opportunities to expand in terms of prequels that led to this space or, you know, where's the world looking and turning to after this because of how things change over six books. But given the uh, the time it has been since the last book was written and published, uh, I don't feel there would be there will be more coming. Sounds good. So where did you go after that series? What was your next in line? Uh, the next one was the, uh, was the new adult book called Bad Connections. And again, I was easily connected to kind of the new adult angst that came in that book. And, but it was also another masterclass in needing stakes throughout each chapter throughout the entire book. Because there was, I loved the emotional connections between the characters. I loved kind of the silly themes that I put through it, including this uh, squirrel that seemed to be stalking the main character, which is partially based on a true story, based on the college that I went to. There were always squirrels stalking everybody through the quad because they just wanted your food, and they were completely brazen. They had no fear when it came to climbing up in your backpack, zipping it open, and stealing something if they smelled it. And Carmody. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I knew plenty of people who had got bit by squirrels throughout my years <laughs> in college. But, and, and so it was, it was a lot of fun to write that book, but at the same time, there were moments going backwards where I can look at it and be like, oh, I could have done this to create more tension in this space to encourage the reader forward, or I could have shaped it this way. But at the same time, I was totally happy with how the book came out, and it's always fun for me to go back and read something. I think... 10 years ago, wait, what year are we in? Not 10 years ago. Five years ago, I would have been very uh, scared. I would have been very judgmental. But at this stage in my writing career, how much I've written, 
both in fiction and in articles, travel writing, things like that. I actually enjoy going back and reading and to see how far I've come, to see what I've learned, to see where where I can learn more. And, and so it's a learning experience. Oh, yeah. And I can tell you just from looking at different readers and not different readers, different authors' books that I've read over the years, you can always tell a progression in their writing as they go. And usually it's really exciting to see them starting off and then finishing or later years, depending on where their careers are. So the the stalking um, squirrel, sorry, that just sounds really odd to me, to be honest with you. But oh, yeah, it's meant to. <laughs> so what what is that story about other than, because I got the gist of the feel of the story it's supposed to be, but where does it start off with? Is the squirrel stalking them right at the beginning and... <laughs> what's you know yeah i may have misled i may have i may have buried the lead there and misled the the, the audience by thinking it's it's really about the stalking squirrel when really it's not it's just an element to add a bit of levity to the story but uh the story actually starts off with the main character uh finding out that it like he just started college and his mom's suddenly moving to thailand and selling the house that he grew up in uh, so now he's kind of, even though he's at college, he kind of had this feeling of misplacement, right, or displacement. And then he hates his roommate, right, just contention there. Uh, he is not really sure how to communicate with people, right, just just social anxiety. Uh, he's not sure how to act in class or what he really needs to do to dedicate himself to school uh, and schoolwork. Uh, you know, and job angst and these things. So it, it's really that slice of life that people can understand at that stage of life. And then coming together to figure out like, oh, you know, I can meet this person and just be myself. Uh, my roommate's not actually a bad person. I just misunderstood them. Or uh, that squirrel wasn't actually stalking me. I had a peanut inside <laughs> my pack that I didn't know about or things like that. It's, right. it's just that the realizations of, of everyday life that actually are a little bit funny when you look back on them. Right. Okay. That makes a little more sense. I was going to say, <laughs> I honestly thought it was a book about stalking squirrels. So <laughs> it's an excellent, actually, it'd be like Stephen King's Christine, but with squirrels instead of a car. <laughs> you know, I, I can see how that terrifying puts me in the mind of, um, Albert Hitchcock, Hitchcock. Yeah. So, so what came after that then? What was the next in line of your books and what what's a little bit about it? So after that would be Life Between Seconds. I, I focused in and I've, I've actually juggled a few projects between them. So I've, I've gone back with Life Between Seconds and was able to query that and redo it, reshape it and get that accepted for publication. And then within that uh, timeline, I also started working on a book that is about a woman serial killer in occupied Paris during World War II. And she uses the chaos of the occupation to kind of stalk her prey and figure out who she's going to kill next. And, and that's the one that's going to be due out either late next year or early 2024. So I was able to get that to uh, a small publisher as well. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, I've also put out a few travel essays and uh, a few different short stories in that meantime. So my my focus has been spread wide, 
but in terms of books between Bad Connections and now, it was Life Between Seconds kind of was the dedicated focus. Okay, now I enjoy good short stories. What kind of short stories do you tend to write? My short stories are definitely more steeped in magical realism or fabulism and these elements of... So it's not fantasy because it's not a new world that I'm bringing into this space or bringing the reader into that space, but it is an element of magic that comes into our world. So there was one story published in that time frame called Death in the Classroom, which is about death in a parent-teacher conference. Okay. And there was another story... <laughs> I just, I just, it tickles me. I think it's so funny just to have death in like everyday situations. I think it's such a funny concept or at least has the opportunity to be really funny. Right. Uh, but uh, beyond that, I've been working on and, and finagling a short story. And it's funny because I feel like short stories take me longer to, to really write and edit than a novel does. And I think maybe it has everything to do with the fact I'm, just naturally verbose, so editing things down and revising things down is a lot harder for me than just blowing things up. But I've been working on this short story for a while now that's actually a a loose analogy to the pandemic, but it's about a storyteller who can bring people back to life using stories as payment, but he has to kind of go through the the whole labyrinth of the underworld to find the soul and bring them back into... The, the real world. Uh, and I've gotten some great notes on that from some people I respect, so I know how to, how to move that forward. Uh, I've also written a short story that was about a uh, sisters who are convinced that their father has turned into a lion, and they have to go you know, search for him, and in the process, uh, dodge the uh, just the, the troubles and challenges of of nature in the all process. Right. All right. Well, that sounds interesting as well. So let me ask this because I don't want to take up your entire day. And <laughs> I know when it comes to talking about books, I, I have a bad habit of, I can just talk forever. Oh yeah. And trust me. If you saw my bookshelves and all this stuff, you would understand it a little more by. So with that, I have all your information you've given me for, where people can find your books and such on authorblurb.com. You have a profile there. I'm going to put all the links you've given me in the show notes so people can also contact you, find you there. Where do you prefer people if they want to reach out to you, if they want to follow you? Where do you think is the best place for them to do so? Uh, Surprisingly, LinkedIn, actually. I'm really active there. Uh, That's a great place to find me. If not there, Instagram. I recently became pretty active there. Lots of pictures of my dog and the books that I'm collecting over time. I mean, I could, I could talk about books, I could share books, I could talk about writing all day, so I'm with you right there. <laughs> and every time I get rid of a book, it's, it's painful for me, but I don't have an unlimited space, right? <laughs> I understand. Trust me, my wife's constantly telling me I need to kind of short. She's literally stopped me from buying physical books unless they're for our kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the only books I get is when somebody sends me like a signed edition or something, and those are the exceptions. But it's nice to give you exceptions. I mean, my daughter's bookshelf definitely rivals my own at this point, and I, I claim they're for her, but I am a huge lover of children's books. Oh, yeah. So am I, and 
the problem is, is my son, he's four years old now. He's just, I'm just developing his bookcase because I know once I finish his, the majority of the books are going to move over to his sister and then he's going to develop other books. So right now I'm trying to figure out where I can place a bookshelf in her room once she gets old enough. Yeah. So where she's not going to be able to reach it and tear apart the book when you're not looking. Right, exactly. Well, luckily, the the bookshelf, like for my son, he has a multi-tier, so the more valuable books go a little higher. Like, he he actually already has his first signed copy book. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so one of the authors I've spoken here who wrote a book called X, The Adventures of XO and Size. My son loves it. He takes it to his daycare frequently, and there's a bunch of exercises in there and all this stuff where the kids can... Any, I remember the um, author even told me that he has the ebook free on his website. Oh, nice! So you can buy the paper book, or you can get the free ebook on his website, where it's constantly helping kids stay active. And in fact, I, November or October—I forget what it is now—he has the second one coming out, where he actually works with fit, training fitness trainers and all these people to develop a storyline along with exercising so that during the story they keep very active. So yeah. I mean, awesome. I have to check that out. Yeah, I mean, it's David Norick, I think his name is, off the top of my head. So, yeah, definitely a interesting book. My kid in his daycare loves it. And so, yeah, trust me, I've taken it outside with him and read, out, read it, and we've done the whole running and jumping and the neighbors oh. had to think we're nuts kind of a thing. Yeah. If my neighbors don't think I'm nuts, I'm not doing it right. Well, there's a reason only one neighbor talks to me right now, and it's the one that's across the street and can't see behind the house, so he doesn't <laughs> see the oddities that occur. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's honestly, I say when you have kids, anything odd is just totally blamable on them, right? Yeah, I do agree. So I'm going to stick with that. And with that, with that being said, this is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else. We're going to talk a little bit more afterwards. So if you can hold on for me, I'd be quite appreciative. So we've gone through the conversation. You got to know Douglas and you got to know his background, his books, his stories, the things that him and I both enjoyed discussing. Obviously, like I said, you can see why I enjoyed our conversation. I hope you did too. I hope they. As always, you're going to authorblurb.com where you're finding the profiles, finding the stories, finding all these different things. And you can also contact me with any questions you have. You can let me know what you think. You can rate and review wherever you're listening or watching this at. And, of course, I always enjoy hearing from you. So feel free to do so. Feel free to reach out to me. Feel free just to scroll through the website and enjoy what is there. Either way, enjoy it. Let people know. Those are the key things. And as always, go buy the author's books. That makes everybody happy. I know I love it when somebody buys my book. I know everyone enjoys when their books are being bought. So thank you. Enjoy. And I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.